Did you ever hear a sermon that you didn't like? <laughs> not here. That's very kind. That's also not true. <laughs> but I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and I don't mean because you didn't like the speaker or because uh, you didn't, uh, you, you, you had some sort of theological problem with what was going on, but because you knew that what was coming was going to be painful. You know, and, and if you've never experienced a sermon like that, then today is your lucky day. Uh, because you might have that opportunity. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, I'm actually stalling right now to keep from getting into it. And so while I do that, I want us to uh, remind ourselves what this series is about as we have done for the last three weeks, as we've been in the book of James and we have talked about what it means to be real and we're trying to be real in our walk with Jesus. And so we've looked at the definitions, the one that's, you know, it's, it, it's a, uh, real is something that actually exists, it's a thing, it it occurs, it's, it's not imagined, it's a, it's a fact. It's not supposed. But the definition that we're using for this series is that second one that we've mentioned over and over again, that it's the substance of a thing. Uh, it's, it's not imitation, it's not artificial, uh, but it is the genuine article. It's, it's authentic, it's, it's, it's very real. And that's what we want to be as followers of Christ. And so we have said this, and I want you to say it again with me really loud. So I want you to say this twice with me. As followers of Christ, we must be real. As followers of Christ, we must be real. I have appreciated hearing you use this language of real. And I've already had people tell me about ways in which they have been convicted by these messages and by how they've thought about their honesty, and they thought about their words, and they thought about how their actions affect people, and uh, even saying that, you know, I was going to do this, and then realize, you know what, that's not real, that's not genuine, that's authentic, and so I made a, a change, I made a decision not to do that. That's the goal of this series. Hopefully, every single one of us has that goal in mind that through this, we're going to walk closer to Jesus and as we walk closer to Jesus, we will examine areas in our life where maybe we're not as authentic, where maybe we're not as genuine, and we will make adjustments to be more Christ-like. If there's any imitation at all, it's got to be imitation of Jesus. Are you with me? Because we want to be, we want to be real. And so today... Today, we're talking about real control. How many times, how many times has my mouth gotten me into trouble? Let me count the ways. And if I were to do so, we would need all of next month, and that would get me up till I was probably about five years old. 
because there are just so many times when I have said things that they have, it's just gone bad. It's gone wrong. Or maybe it was an intentional thing and it just did not turn out well because sometimes, and, and you know this, sometimes our words, they just get away from us, don't they? They just, I mean, they just get away. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I can be a little too overzealous. Sometimes I can push too hard. Sometimes I can get so uh, worked up about something that I can overplay my hand just a little bit. I can overpreach it, overstate it, over whatever you want to say to the point that I've communicated past what I was trying to communicate. And it messes up the message. Or I've said things in a moment of anger or in a moment of frustration. You know, where you just sort of have unguarded moments and you lash out and you, and you, and you say things. And you know, it's, it's like we were talking about back here, you know, you can't unring a bell. You know, it's like once that word is out there, you know, you just say it. And you, you, know, you, you ever said something and you know as soon as you said it, you shouldn't have said it. And you're scrambling trying to get it back. But there's no getting it back, is there? Because once it's out there, it's gone. You cannot unring, you cannot unring that, that bell. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, because of the way my brain works, uh, certain situations will happen, and I will see things just a little bit differently, and I might see some humor in a situation. And I might feel the need to inject that humor into a situation that other people don't really find funny. Okay? My good buddy and our dear friend George, we kind of rode in that same boat. You know? Uh, we just interject humor into places that not everybody always appreciates. So there's been times where that has, has gotten me into trouble. Uh, it happened in school. It happens still today. It happens in my marriage. You know, it happens in sermons. You know, you just... Sometimes you just say things, you have these unguarded moments, and they just get away. Can anybody else please relate to this? Good. I'm glad I'm not alone. You know, and I had a feeling that was going to be the case. Because all of us understand, I think all of us understand that this is a problem, right? It is a problem we as a people, I'm not necessarily talking about individuals, but we as a people often have a hard time controlling our tongues. We have a hard time controlling what we want to say. You know, and it's, it's amazing that with our tongues and, and with our words, you know, we, we have the ability to praise God. Like we've done this morning, and we just got through singing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. A, a, a beautiful psalm was read for us that talked about the majesty of God. We've offered prayers. We've talked about the resurrection of Jesus already. And so we've, we've been able to do all of these things with our tongue. Okay, right now we have children in our building that are being taught by teachers about the Bible. About the story of God. That, that God brought this all into existence and they are are a part of that, that ongoing story. You know, we use our tongues to lead people to Jesus. And yet, at the same time, we can also tell lies that will ruin someone's reputation. You know, 
We have the ability to, to say things that will break a person's heart. We can speak words that, that can hurt and, and wound. You know, whoever it was that came up with the added sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I'm pretty sure that person was probably a hermit living in a cave somewhere. Okay? Because you and I both know that words do hurt. And I would even say that if you say that words don't hurt, that you've got a pretty good defense mechanism up, which tells me that you probably have already been hurt pretty bad by somebody's words. Okay? Because we know, we know that words hurt. And I'm going to go ahead and make another bold statement here in that probably every single one of us has said something in our life that was hurtful to somebody else. Yes or no? Yeah, we all find ourselves in those situations. Now that we don't do it all the time, and we don't always do it on purpose, but I think we find ourselves in those situations. And, and, and it's amazing to me that a few Careless words can destroy a relationship that took us a lifetime to build. But words are, are that powerful. You see, the ability to, to speak gives us the ability to influence others. And we will always influence people one way or the other. Okay, as I've said, I don't think there's any neutral influence. That'd be no influence at all. Okay, we either influence people for positive things and for good things, or we influence people in a negative way and, and bad things. Our words are, are full of life and hope, or our words are full of death and evil and destruction. Okay, our words are so very powerful. And if we are trying to be people of influence, if we're trying to be real, then we have to figure out how it is we get a control on our words, right? We have to figure out how we use our words in a right way because, and, and I'll say this and I'll say it in a few minutes, I'm sure, one of the quickest ways to destroy our witness is with our words, with our tongue, with our language. And the, and, the way we, and the way we talk. So we can influence others for better or for worse. And Now I've stalled long enough and we've got to look at this text. So in James, James 3, he, he picks up this, this chapter and he's talking about our words. And he's talking about our tongues. He's going to give us some, some metaphors and some word pictures and then he's, just, he's going to show us what they can do and, and what they're like. But if you'll remember, way back in the beginning, in chapter 1, about, around, verse, uh, around verse 19, James is writing to these people, and he says that we must be, what? We must be slow to speak. Slow to speak. And if we would have just done that, we wouldn't have to read the rest of it. Right? But the problem is, we're not slow to speak. Are we? We're quick to speak, and especially in this world of social media. Somebody gets online and posts something we don't like. Well, we got to say something. Why do we have to say something? Just because somebody I know puts something online that I don't particularly have to agree with does not mean that I have to get on there and push back against them. I can scroll right past it. 
You know, I have seen relationships destroyed because of Facebook. You got to be kidding me. Because we don't know how to control our tongues through our fingers. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it just it, it amazes me. If we're going to be real, we've got to be real with the words and the language that we use, whether it be verbally or whether it be on a, on a, on a textbook message, uh, a Facebook message, a text, whatever it might be, an email, we must be real with our words. And so James' admonishment to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak, goes right along with this. And we need to be that way. We need to just take a moment, pump the brakes, and say, okay, let me think about what you're saying before I respond. Okay? And I am as guilty as anybody in here of not doing that. Okay? Because it's easy just to fire back, is it not? And just say what I've got to say. And, and for some reason, you know, we, we, uh, it seems like our society has it in our mind that everybody needs to hear every single word we have to say. You know? I mean, you are entitled to my words, okay? You should have to listen to me. You should have to hear everything that I say. You know, that's kind of what these, these media platforms have done. It's just turned us all in, in some ways into just narcissists who have to say everything and everybody must hear every word we have to say when that's not really true. We have to guard what we say. We have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our minds and James is going to show us how we can have some real control with the help of Paul and so he opens up in 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 chapter 3 and he eases us into this and I'm really glad he does but in in chapter 3 verse 1 he says not many of you should become teachers my brothers and sisters for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness for all of us make mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes is speaking perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. Okay, so he starts off, and he's kind of using this, this example, saying that not everybody, not everybody should teach. Now, then, and that makes sense, okay? We know that not everybody should be in the role of teaching. Because if we're familiar with our Bibles, we know that the Holy Spirit gifts people in different ways does he not and some people he is gifted with the ability to teach yet there are others who have not they don't have that gift their gift is is something else and so to take someone who does not have the gift of teaching and to force them into a teaching role that can be disastrous for everybody you know that can just you know it can just be absolutely frightening and if you've ever been in that position and you just start stammering and stuttering and you ever said something, you just you, all of a sudden you're just off on some point that you never intended to make. You know, and you can really, you know, that can be a, a scary place. And so not everybody has that gift of teaching. And so it's, it's not right to, to put them in that position. But I think another thing is, is that there are many people who they have the ability to discern Scripture and understand what the Bible text is saying, but they don't need to be teaching because they don't have the ability to teach it in love. You know what I'm talking about? There are a lot of people who have the right message, but the wrong presentation. You know what I'm talking about? 
We can be as right, as right as right can be on the, on the actual what the text is saying and as wrong as wrong can be in the way we deliver that message. Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians. He says, if I've got all this great stuff, all these languages and all these great things, all this knowledge, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging symbol. In other words, I'm just a, making a bunch of noise. Okay? We have to teach the truth in love. Okay? And so you know that if you are a teacher, and we have a lot of educators in our church, you know that if you are an educator, your words, you have the power to influence. You know that when you get up and you go into your classroom tomorrow morning, those students are waiting there for you. And they are expecting you. Now, they're not going to say this, but you know they expect you to pour into their lives. They expect you to teach them things and to show them how to live their lives. And you know, maybe better than any of us, you understand the importance of words. And you understand their value. And you have seen the sticks and stones may break my bones. You've seen those things play out in the lives of your students. And you know that's not true. Because you've seen your, uh, your, your students get mad at one another and say things and form grudges and say really ugly things that often escalate into to bigger problems. Okay? Uh, you've seen students take... Uh, something, uh, some student that has some problem or whatever and be bullied by someone else's words. You know the power of that. And so it is our responsibility as teachers, it's our responsibility to take seriously the burden of teaching. Okay? If God has gifted you with the ability to teach, that is a burden that He's that He's given you. And we have to take that very seriously because we have the ability to affect lives with our words. Yes or no? And James says it right here, those who teach will be judged in a more strict way. So we can't just half-heartedly go about teaching. Okay, and so that goes for us here. As I teach in this church, as you teach our children in this church, we can't just half-heartedly go about it and just, oh, just, well, I'll just teach something. No, that's a responsibility that God has given us, and we have to take that responsibility very, very seriously. And I think all of our teachers here do a very good job, and I have complete confidence in all of you, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to partner with you in the, in the, the education of this church. But James is saying that there is a big responsibility when it comes to teaching. And he goes on and he says, he begins giving us these pictures in, in verse 3. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. James gives us these, these two pictures that make it really easy for us to, to, to grasp what he's talking about because if you've ever been around horses, you know that's a powerful animal. Okay, it's a, I mean, that is a strong, powerful, beautiful, majestic animal. Okay, and if you've ever seen wild horses, it's really something to behold. But you get a horse, and you get it in the hands of someone who knows how to break a horse with the bridle, and they put 
that bit in their mouth and you watch them break that horse, they bring that wild horse, they can bring it under control. They bring meekness upon that horse. Okay? And, and that's kind of where that word meekness comes from. It's not weakness, it's, it's, it's strength, it's power under control. Okay? And what James is saying is, a horse is a very powerful animal, but just this one little thing, this one little piece of metal can control the whole horse. It gives us the other picture of ships. The ship is big. The rudder, comparatively to everything else, is small, but it guides the course. He's saying the tongue, yeah, it's, it's small. It's one of the smallest body parts there is, yet it's the biggest troublemaker in the whole lot. Okay, the, trouble, the tongue causes more trouble than just about anything else we have. Okay, in fact, he goes on and says, the tongue is also a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. You ever known anybody who boasted a lot? It's fun to be around those people, isn't it? Yeah, you know, they tell you all about what they've done, and they tell you all about stuff they hadn't even done yet. But what they're going to do, and it's going to be great, and how great they are, and how great it's going to be, and all of that. These things are, are small, but they affect the course of larger things. Our tongues are small, but they have the power to affect lives. And with our tongues, we can affect people for good or for evil. And then he really turns up the heat here, pun intended. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets, the whole, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. Seems like every year we hear about wildfires just burning out of control. Thousands and thousands upon acres of land just burned up. Homes destroyed. I mean, you think back at the end of last year, whenever that was in, in Gatlinburg, the Smoky Mountains, how much land, timber, property was destroyed, all because of what essentially, initially, started out as one single flame. Okay? One single flame, and all of that stuff was destroyed. That's what he's saying the tongue is like. Okay? Fire, it spreads rapidly. Uh, October of 1871, the Great Chicago Fire. About 8.30 p.m., fire started, and it spread very rapidly. It took about three days for them to finally get the fire under control, and they had to do so by collapsing buildings down on top of it trying to just sort of corral and contain it and make a, a, a fire break. By the end of it, over 100,000 people were homeless. 17,500 buildings were destroyed. 300 people lost their lives, and it cost the city of Chicago over $400 million, and that's in 1871. It was, and, and this was only like a three-block uh, area. But millions of millions of dollars and lives and people displaced. And you know what? Fire started in a barn. Okay, it's rumored that it was even, you know, it was a cow that kicked over a lantern. 
Okay, there's other rumors that, that say it started because some guys were gambling and, and somebody got out of hand and knocked over a lantern. But either way, it started with a small spark. Well, that's what the tongue can do. One little careless word can do so much damage. Have you seen that happen in your life? How many of you, how, and, and I'll go first, how many of you have spoken a word like that that did damage? Anybody else? Yeah. How many of you have been on the receiving end of a word like that? And it does more damage than what we realize, does it not? Have you ever said something and not realized that you caused damage? And then somebody come to you later and said, hey, look, something you said really upset me. We have to be mindful of the words we use. We have to be always aware of the power that our words have. They always have the ability to do good or do evil. And so we have to, we have to think about what they're saying. Um, I like the way, I like the way uh, Eugene Peterson translates verses 5 and 6 from the message. He says, it only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. Does that make sense? Are those true words? They absolutely are. That's what we can do. With our words, we have the ability to destroy somebody's reputation. We have the ability with our words to cause division, to cause strife, to cause envy, to cause jealousy, to cause distractions, to cause pain and, and, and suffering. And that cannot be. It can burn the world up is what James is saying. Uh, you don't have to turn here, I'll just read it to you, but Ephesians 4 Ephesians 4.29, Paul is writing, and he says, Let no evil talk come out of your mouths. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is a need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Well, so the question is, what are the evil words that he's talking about? Anything that's a lie, any deceit, any of those things that I just talked about. Things that cause division. Things that cause dissension and distraction. Words that hurt. Words that are used to bemean. Words that are used to, to bully. Uh, words that are used to, to hurt and cut and pierce. And any adjective that you want to throw in there. Anything that is meant to cause harm or that will cause harm intentionally, those are, those are the evil words. And what he's saying is those, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're going to be real, those kinds of words should not be coming out of our mouths. You with me? But man, we are so quick to speak. Are we not? And we blow it right here all the time on this one. I told you you wouldn't like this sermon. 
Because it's tough. Because this is, I mean, this one hits us, it hits us right, it hits us right where we are. And James is saying, look, it cannot, it absolutely cannot be this way because so many lives have been destroyed by careless words. Churches have been destroyed by careless words. Families broken up because of careless words. Husbands and wives, sons, daughters, brothers and sisters pitted against one another because of words. You, and you know this to be true as well as I do, right? I mean, we probably all can look through our family history and see where, where conflict is, okay? And it may have started just because somebody said something or says something or feels the need to, to interject something there and it just creates this, this strife and this tension he goes on, he says, for every, in verse 7, for every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by human beings. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know, for the most part, we've tamed just about every creature on the planet. Lions, tigers, bears, oh my. We have the ability to tame them. You see people, you go to the zoo or, or wherever it is, the circus, and we see people get in a cage with a lion. Somebody has domesticated a lion so much that they think it's a good idea to put their head in a lion's mouth. It's because they've tamed that beast. And that's a powerful and a dangerous animal, and yet we have the ability to tame it. And that's what he's saying. We've tamed all of these things, but nobody, not one person, can tame the tongue. And that puts us in a bit of a dilemma, does it not? Because how are we supposed to be real if we can't tame this one thing that causes so much problems? Well, the point is, we cannot do it. We don't have the ability. That's what James is saying. Okay? You cannot do this. So where do we find the answer? Let's go to Galatians 5. Paul, again, is talking about, um, he's talking about fruit. And he opens up and he's talking about the, the fruits of the flesh. And he says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I'm warning you, as I warned you before, whoever does such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now then, as you look back over that list, how many of those things involve our tongues and our words? Pretty much all of them. In some way, shape, or form, our mouths are involved in those things. Okay, and that's the works of the flesh, of the nature. Okay, 
And Paul is saying, look, if this is you, if you practice these things, hey, the kingdom of God is not about that. Okay? It's not about those things at all. Okay? So then what do we do? Verse 22. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. So there's our answer right there. And here's the point of the whole thing this morning is that real control comes from a life led by the Spirit. And it speaks words of life, hope, and encouragement. We cannot tame the tongue on our own. We have to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those nine fruits, there's no law against. Which that means that when we get up in the morning, we have the ability to come under the control and, and, uh, of the Holy Spirit. But we also have the, uh, the, uh, the option not to do that. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to you know, debauchery, all that stuff. And then it goes on, it says, But be filled with the Holy Spirit. That idea is a continual filling. We have to continue to allow ourselves to be filled by the Holy Spirit. So I got to thinking about this this morning, and I was thinking that maybe the best thing for us to do is when we get up in the morning, it says, okay, God, I surrender my tongue and my words to you. Use them for your glory, not for mine. And, and God, please manifest, fill me with the Spirit. And that's how we are able to speak words of life and hope and, 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 and encouragement. Because just on our own, in our own selfishness, we don't have that ability. But when the Spirit that dwells inside us fills us up and manifests itself in the forms of these fruits, then we have that ability. We're empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? And that's where real control comes from. You ever totally been in a situation where you just could have just absolutely lost it and gone berserk and then all of a sudden found out that you weren't? And realize, you know what? That's the Holy Spirit working in my life. That's God working. God is giving me that real control. God is helping me to control my emotions. He's helping me to control my actions and my tongue and my words. And look, some of you and some of me, you know, we've got stuff going on right now where we need control maybe more than anything else. But we cannot do it. We cannot operate. We cannot be what we need to be on our own. We have to come under the control and operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is the only way for us to have real control. Because if we don't have real control... We're going to find ourselves in real trouble. So we have to guard what we say and we have to allow room for the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives. 
And the reason why is, is this. Verse 9 says, with it, he's still talking about the tongue. With it, we bless the Lord and Father. And with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. Do you talk different when you come in here? Will you talk differently tomorrow than you talk today? The answer could be yes for a lot of us. The question we need to ask ourselves is why? Why do we talk differently around people that we don't go to church with? Are our words more harsh? Are they more critical? Are our words full of cursing? Do we come here to church on Sunday morning and sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and then turn around and call someone a son of a whatever you want to fill in the blank with on Monday? That's what he's saying. That cannot be. We can't have praising the Lord on one side of our mouth and cursing people made in the image of God coming out of the other side of our mouth. Because we're cursing someone created in the image of the one we're praising. And that, that does not work. And that right there is one of the biggest things that kills our witness. When we invite somebody to church, you're like, man, you know, I hear the way you talk. You go to church, they let you in there like that, you know, I mean... One of the quickest ways we can destroy our witness is with our words. You know what I'm saying? That's why this was so tough. We can destroy our witness with our words. And the way we do it is by on Sunday or whenever it is, we're praising God, and then we turn around and we start talking bad about somebody. We start gossiping, we start lying, we start bad-mouthing, we start belittling, we start bullying, whatever it is. And then say, hey, come to church with me because I love God. I love Jesus. You know what? I'm going to be like, I don't think you do. Because if you did, you certainly wouldn't be talking like that. Okay? That's what he's saying. This, it, it, it's, you know what that is? That's not real. Because that's going back to what we talked about from the very beginning. That's presenting one thing and then living another way, which makes us what? Hypocrites. That ought not be so. And that's what, that's what James is, is telling us. And then finally, he, he gets down, he, he's showing how those two things are, you know, an antithesis of one another, how they can't exist together. He says, does a, a, a spring pour forth both Pour forth from the same opening both fresh and bitter water. Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or figs? No more can salt water yield fresh water. In other words, he's saying those things, they don't go together. If you're a follower of Christ, you can't be praising God one minute and cursing man the next. You know? Because that's not real. 
Now then, this doesn't mean that we don't occasionally blow it. And it doesn't mean that we don't slip up sometimes. It doesn't mean that when we hit our thumb with a hammer and we throw a few expletives in there, it doesn't mean that we've just totally undone everything. But what that does mean is that when we do blow it, we go back to what we talked about from the very beginning, real honesty, and say, hey, look, I blow it, I messed up, I'm sorry. I should not have said that. Now, the way words work, you know, something we can apologize for saying things, but that fire can still keep burning, can it not? Because we can't get our words back. And so we have to then start demonstrating more by our lives that we are, one, genuinely sorry, and true, two, genuinely trying to be authentic in the way that we, the way that we live, and we hope that, that people can show us the grace and love and mercy that we need. So the question is, as I get ready to bring this to a close, is what kind of words are coming out of your mouth? Are they words of life or are they words of death? Are they words of hope or are they words of despair? Are they words of encouragement or are they words of discouragement? Paul says, let no unwholesome talk or no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up. The reason why they give so much attention to words is because these writers understand the power of words. We have to make sure we understand that power and that we weigh our words that we say because we have the ability to affect lives for good or for evil you know that I know that we've all seen the child that has not been treated very well and somebody speak one kind word to that child and watch their eyes light up and that's a, a beautiful and an incredible thing but at the same time we've also seen the other way around where we've seen one harsh word spoken and you just see that child, you see, their, they see them just fall, become, become crestfallen because our words are that powerful. And so we must have real control with our words. Real control comes from a life-led by the Holy Spirit. And it speaks words of life, words of hope, and words of encouragement. So what kind of words are you speaking? Are you being real? Are you experiencing real control, not under your own power, but under the power of the Holy Spirit? Or are you choosing to try to go about it in your own way and you find yourself sometimes in situations that you can't talk yourself out of? I pray that if you, like I, have used words and phrases that you didn't need to use, that you repent. And I have to do this all the time. And if we're going to be real, I think we probably have to say that, yeah, we're going to have to do this a lot. This is a continual thing because we're sinful, broken people. We're trying. We're trying to grow to be more like God, more like Jesus. But it's a long road, and I have to continually 
come back. I have to continually ask for that spirit filling and manifestation of those fruits. So what about you? Are there words, are there things that you have said that you need to cut out of your life? Are there people in your life that you need to go to and make amends with the best you can because of something you have said? Are there people who have hurt you with their words and maybe you need to forgive them? Let all that begin today. And find real control under the power of the Holy Spirit. If we can help you, if we can pray with you, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?